What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 10, Book the Tenth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 10. Book the Tenth. Argument. Diomede and Ulysses, as spies, penetrate the camp of the Trojans by night, and first entrap and slay Dolon, who had set out on the same errand for the Trojans. Having obtained from him the desired information, they then attack the Thracians and slay their king, Rhesus, while asleep. At the suggestion of Minerva, they then return to the camp. The other chiefs, indeed, of all the Greeks were sleeping the whole night at the ships, overcome by soft slumber. But sweet sleep possessed not Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, shepherd of the people, revolving many things in his mind, as when the husband of fair-haired Juno thunders, preparing either an abundant, immense shower, or hail, or snow, when the snow whitens the fields, or somewhere preparing the wide mouth of bitter war, so frequently groaned Agamemnon in his breast from the bottom of his heart, and his mind was troubled within him. As often, indeed, as he looked toward the Trojan plain, he wondered at the many fires which were burning before Ilium, the sound of flutes and pipes, and the tumult of men. But when he looked towards the ships and the army of the Greeks, he tore up many hairs from his head by the roots, enraged at Jove who dwells aloft, and deeply groaned in his noble heart. But this plan appeared best to him in his judgment, to repair first to Nelean Nestor, and to see whether with him he might contrive some blameless counsel, which might be an averter of evil. Rising, therefore, he wrapped his coat around his breast, and beneath his smooth feet bound the beautiful sandals. Next he threw around him the blood-stained skin of a huge tawny lion, stretching to his ankles, and grasped his spear. In like manner a tremor possessed Menelaus, for neither did sleep rest upon his eyelids, through fear lest the Greek should suffer aught, who on his account had come over the wide sea to Troy, waging daring war. First with a spotted leopard skin he covered his broad back, and next, lifting his brazen helmet, placed it upon his head, and grasped a spear in his stout hand. But he went to awaken his brother, who had the chief command of all the Greeks, and was honored by the people like a god. Him he found by the prow of his ship, putting his bright armor around his shoulders, and arriving, he was welcome to him. Him first Menelaus, valiant in the den of war, addressed, Why arm thus, my respected brother? Or whom dost thou urge of thy companions to go as a spy amongst the Trojans? In truth I very much fear that no one will undertake this deed, going alone through the dead of night to reconnoitre the enemy. Any one who does so will be bold-hearted indeed. But him, King Agamemnon, answering, addressed, 
O Jove nurtured Medelaus, need of prudent counsel comes upon both thee and me, which will protect and preserve the Greeks and their ships, since the mind of Jove is altered. Surely he has rather given his attention to the Hectorian sacrifices, for never have I beheld nor heard a person who related that one man has devised so many arduous deeds in one day as Hector, dear to Jove, hath performed upon the sons of the Greeks in such a manner, although the dear child neither of a goddess nor of a god. But such deeds hath he done as I conceive will long and for many a day be a cause of care to the Greeks. So many evils hath he wrought against the Greeks. But go now, call Ajax and Idomeneus, running quickly to their ships. But I will go to noble Nestor, and exhort him to arise, if he be willing to go to the sacred company of guards and give orders, for to him will they most attentively listen, because his son commands the guards, along with Marionus, the armor-bearer of Idomeneus, for to them we entrusted the chief charge. But him, Menelaus, valiant in a den of war, then answered, In what manner dost thou command and exhort me in thy speech? Shall I remain there with them, waiting till thou come, or shall I run back again to thee, after I have duly given them orders? But him interred Agamemnon, king of men, addressed, Wait there, lest as we come we miss one another, for there are many ways through the camp. But shout aloud whithersoever thou goest, and enjoin them to be watchful, accosting each man by a name from his paternal race, honorably addressing all. Nor be thou haughty in thy mind. Nay, let even us ourselves labor, whatever be our station, so heavy a calamity hath Jove laid upon us at our birth. Thus saying, he dismissed his brother, having duly charged him, but he hastened to go to Nectar. But he hastened to go to Nestor, the shepherd of the people. Him he found on his soft couch beside his tent and black ship, and by him lay his variegated arms, a shield, two spears, and a glittering helmet. Beside him also lay a flexible belt, with which the old man girded himself when he was arming for man-destroying war, leading on his people, since he by no means yielded to sad old age. Being supported on his elbow, and lifting up his head, he addressed the son of Atreus, and questioned him in these words, Who art thou who comest thus alone by the ships, along the army, during the gloomy night when other mortals are asleep, whether seeking any of the guards or any of thy companions? Speak, nor approach me in silence. Of what is there need to thee? But him, Agamemnon, king of men, then answered, O Nestor, son of Neleus, great glory of the Greeks, thou wilt recognize Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, whom beyond all Jove hath plunged into toils continually, whilst breath remains in my breast, or my knees have the power of motion. I wander thus, because sweet sleep sits not on my eyes, but war, and the calamities of the Greeks are my care, for I greatly fear for the Greeks. Neither is my heart firm, but I am confounded. My heart leaps without my breast, and my fair limbs tremble beneath. But if thou canst do aught, since neither doth sleep come upon thee, come, let us go down to the guards, that we may see whether, worn out by toil and overpowered by sleep, they slumber, and are altogether forgetful of the watch, and hostile men are encamped near. Nor do we at all know, but that they perhaps meditate in their minds to engage even during the night. But him, Nestor, the Gerenian knight then answered, Agamemnon, most glorious son of Atreus, king of men, assuredly provident Jove will not accomplish to Hector all those devices, which now perhaps he expects, but I think that he will labor under even more cares if Achilles shall but turn away his heart from heavy wrath. 
yet will I willingly follow thee, and let us moreover incite others, both spear-renowned Diomede, and Ulysses, swift Ajax, and the valiant son of Phileus. But if any one going would call godlike Ajax and king Idomeneus, for their ships are the farthest off, and by no means near at hand. But I will chide Menelaus, dear and respected though he be, nor will I conceal, even if thou shouldst be displeased with me, since thus he sleeps, and has permitted thee alone to labour. For now ought he to labour, supplicating among all the chiefs for a necessity no longer tolerable invades us. But him Agamemnon, king of men, in turn addressed, Old man, at other times I would even bid thee blame him, for he is frequently remiss, and is not willing to labour yielding neither to sloth nor thoughtlessness of mind but looking to me and awaiting my commencement but now he arose long before me and stood beside me him i have sent before to call those whom thou seekest but let us go and we shall find them before the gates among the guards for there i bade them be assembled but him the gerenian knight nestor then answered if so none of the greeks will be angry nor disobey when he may exhort or give orders to any Thus saying, he put on his tunic around his breast, and beneath his shining feet he placed the beautiful sandals, and fastened about him his purple cloak with a clasp, double, ample, and the shaggy pile was thick upon it, and he seized a doughty spear, pointed with sharp brass. He proceeded first to the ships of the brazen-mailed Achaeans, then the Gerenian knight Nestor, vociferating, aroused from his sleep Ulysses, equal to Jove in counsel. But the voice immediately penetrated his mind, and he came out from the tent and addressed them, why i pray wander ye thus alone through the ambrosial night near the ships through the army what so great necessity now comes upon you but him nestor the gerenian knight then answered jove sprung son of laertes much scheming ulysses be not indignant for so great a sorrow hath oppressed the greeks but follow that we may arouse even another whomsoever it is fit to deliberate whether to fly or fight thus he spake and much counselling Ulysses returning into his tent, flung around his shoulders his variegated shield, and followed them. But they proceeded to Diomede, the son of Tydeus, and him they found without, before his tent, with his arms, and his companions slept around him. Beneath their heads they had their shield, and their spears were fixed erect upon the nether point, and afar off glittered the brass, like the lightning of Father Jove. The hero himself, however, slumbered, and beneath him was strewed the hide of a wild bull, but under his head was spread a splendid piece of tapestry. Standing by him, the Gerenian knight Nestor awoke him, moving him on the heel with his foot. He roused him, and upbraided him openly. Arise, son of Tydeus, why dost thou indulge in sleep all night? Hearest thou not how the Trojans are encamped upon an eminence in the plain near the ships, and that now but a small space keeps them off? Thus he spoke, but he leaped up very quickly from slumber, and addressing him spoke winged words indefatigable art thou old man never indeed dost thou cease from labour are there not even other younger sons of the greeks who going about in every direction might arouse each of the kings but o old man thou art impossible to be wearied but him then the gerenian knight nestor in turn addressed truly my friend thou hast spoken all these things aright i have to be sure blameless sons and i have numerous troops some of whom indeed going round might give the summons but a very great necessity hath oppressed the greeks and now are the affairs of all balanced on a razor's edge whether there be most sad destruction to the greeks or life yet go now since thou art younger arouse swift ajax and the son of phileus if thou hast pity on me thus he spake 
but the other threw around his shoulders the skin of a huge tawny lion reaching to his feet and took his spear he hastened forth and the hero having aroused the rest led them thence but when they now came to the assembled guards they found not the leaders of the guards slumbering but all were sitting vigilantly with their arms as dogs with care keep watch around the sheep in a fold hearing the furious wild beast which comes through the wood from the mountains but much clamour of men and dogs is against it and sleep is utterly lost to them so was sweet slumber lost to their eyelids keeping guard during the sad night for they were ever turned towards the plain whensoever they heard the trojans advancing but the old man seeing them rejoiced and encouraged them with a speech and addressing them spoke winged words dost now dear children keep watch nor let sleep seize upon any lest we become a mockery to the enemy thus saying he crossed the trench and with him followed the chiefs of the greeks as many as had been summoned to the council along with these went Meriones and the illustrious son of nestor for they had invited them that they might consult with them having therefore passed over the dug trench they sat down in a clear space where a piece of ground appeared free from fallen dead bodies whence impetuous hector had turned back having destroyed the greeks when night at length enveloped them there sitting down they addressed words to each other and to them the gerenian knight nestor began discourse o friends would not now some man put such confidence in his own daring mind as to go against the magnanimous trojans if perchance he might take some of the enemy straying in the outskirts of the camp or perhaps even learn some report among the trojans what they deliberate among themselves whether they intend to remain here by the ships at a distance or are about to return to the city since they have subdued the greeks could he but hear all this and come back to us unscathed great glory would be his under heaven amongst all men and he shall have a good reward for as many chiefs as command the vessels of all these each will give a black sheep a ewe having a lamb at its udders to which indeed no possession will be like and he will ever be present at our banquets and feasts thus he spoke and they were all mute in silence but to them diomede valiant in the din of battle said nestor my heart and gallant spirit urge me to enter the camp of the hostile trojans which is near but if some other man were to go along with me there would be more pleasure and it would be more encouraging for when two go together the one perceives before the other how the advantage may be but if one being alone should observe anything his perception is nevertheless more tardy and his judgment weak thus he spoke and the greater number wished to follow diomede the two ajaces wished it servants of mars meriones wished it the son of nestor very earnestly desired it the spear-renowned son of atreus menelaus desired it and hardy ulysses was eager to penetrate the crowd of the trojans for ever daring was his mind within his breast among them however agamemnon the king of men spoke diomede son of tydeus most dear to my soul select the companion whom thou desirest the bravest of those who present themselves since many are ready nor do thou paying deference in thy mind leave indeed the better and select as follower the worse through respect for rank looking neither to family nor whether one is more the king thus he spake for he feared the yellow-haired menelaus but amongst them diomede brave in the dead of battle again spoke if then ye now order me to select a companion myself how can i now forget godlike ulysses whose heart is prudent and spirit gallant in all labours and whom pallas minerva loves he following we should both return even from burning fire for he is skilled in planning beyond all others but him much enduring noble ulysses in turn answered son of tydeus 
neither praise me beyond measure nor at all blame for thou speakest these things amongst argives who are acquainted with them already but let us go for night hastens on and morn is at hand the stars have already far advanced and the greater portion of the night by two parts has gone by but the third portion remains thus having spoken they clad themselves in their terrible arms to diomede thrasymedes firm in war gave his two-edged sword because his own was left at the ships and a shield upon his head he placed his bull's hide helmet coneless crestless which is called and protects the heads of blooming youths and Meriones gave a bow quiver and sword to ulysses and put upon his head a cask of hide and within it was firmly bound with many straps whilst without the white teeth of an ivory tusked boar set thick together on all sides fenced it well and skilfully and in the midst a woollen headpiece was sewed yet autolycus once bought from eleon the city of amentor son of hormonus having broken into his large mansion he gave it however to amphimedus the cytherian to bear scandea and amphimedus bestowed it upon molus to be a gift of hospitality but he gave it to his son Meriones to be worn then at last being placed around it covered the head of ulysses but they when they had girt themselves in dreadful arms hastened to advance and left all the chiefs at the same place and to them near the way pallas minerva sent a heron upon the right hand they did not discern it with their eyes because of the gloomy night but heard it rustling and ulysses was delighted on account of the bird and prayed to minerva hear me thou daughter of aegis-bearing jove who standest by me in all labours nor do i escape thy notice having moved now again do thou o minerva especially befriend me and grant that covered with glory we may return back to the well-benched barks having performed a mighty deed which will surely occasion care to the trojans then diomede brave in the din of battle next prayed now hear me too o daughter of jove invincible attend me as once thou didst attend my sire the noble tydeus to thebes what time he went as an ambassador for the achaeans he left the brazen-mailed achaeans at the esopus and he himself bore thither a mild message to the cadmians but when returning he performed many arduous deeds with thy aid o noble goddess when thou propitious didst stand beside him thus now willingly stand by and protect me and in return i will sacrifice to thee a heifer of a year old with broad forehead untamed which no man hath yet brought under the oak this will i sacrifice to thee encircling its horns with gold thus they spoke praying and pallas minerva heard them but when they had supplicated the daughter of mighty jove they hastened to advance like two lions through the dark night through slaughter through bodies through arms and black blood nor did hector allow the gallant trojans to sleep but he summoned all the chiefs together as many as were leaders and rulers over the trojans having summoned them together he framed prudent counsel who undertaking it for me will accomplish this deed for a great reward and there shall be sufficient payment for him for i will give a chariot and two rough-maned steeds which excel in speed at the swift sailing ships of the greeks to him whosoever would dare he will also obtain glory for himself to approach near the swift sailing ships and learn whether the fleet ships are guarded as formerly or whether now subdued by our hands they meditate flight among themselves nor wish to keep watch during the night overcome with grievous toil thus he spoke but they were all still in silence but among the trojans there was one dolon the son of eumedes a divine herald rich in gold and wealthy in brass who in aspect indeed was deformed but was swift-footed 
and he was an only son among five sisters who then standing by addressed the trojans and hector hector my heart and gallant spirit urge me to approach the swift sailing ships and gain information but come raise up thy sceptre to me and swear that thou wilt assuredly give me the horses and chariot variegated with brass which now bear the illustrious son of peleus and i will not be a vain spy to thee nor frustrate thy expectation for i will go so far into the camp till i reach the ship of agamemnon where the chiefs will perchance be consulting whether to fly or fight thus he spoke but he took the sceptre in his hands and swore to him let jove himself now be my witness the loudly thundering spouse of juno that no other man of the trojans shall be carried by these horses but i declare that thou shalt entirely have the glory of them thus he spoke and indeed swore a vain oath nevertheless he encouraged him immediately he threw around his shoulders his crooked bow and put on above the hide of a gray wolf with a cask of weasel skin upon his head and seized a sharp javelin and he set out to go from the camp towards the ships nor was he destined to bring back intelligence to hector returning from the ships but when now he had quitted the crowd of horses and men he eagerly held on his way but him godlike ulysses observed advancing and addressed diomede hark diomede a man comes from the camp i know not whether as a spy upon our vessels or to plunder some of the dead bodies but let us suffer him first to pass by a little through the plain and afterwards hastily rushing upon him let us take him if however he surpasses us in speed attacking him with the spear let us continually drive him from the camp towards the ships lest by chance he escape towards the city then having thus spoken they lay down out of the pathway among the dead but he in thoughtlessness ran hastily past but when now he was as far off as is a space ploughed at one effort by mules for they are preferable to oxen in drawing the well-made plough through the deep fallow they indeed ran towards him but he stood still hearing a noise for he hoped within his mind that his companions had come from the trojans to turn him back hector having ordered but when now they were distant a spear's cast or even less he perceived that they were enemies and moved his active knees to fly and they immediately hastened to follow as when two rough-toothed hounds skilled in the chase ever incessantly pursue through the woody ground either a fawn or hare whilst screaming it flies before thus did tydides and ulysses sacker of cities pursue him ever steadily having cut him off from his own people but when now flying towards the ships he would speedily have mingled with the watch then indeed minerva infused strength into tydides that none of the brazen-mailed greeks might be beforehand in boasting that he had wounded him but he himself comes second then gallant diomede rushing on him with his spear addressed him either stop or i will overtake thee with my spear nor do i think that thou wilt long escape certain destruction from my hand he said and hurled his spear but intentionally missed the man over the right shoulder the point of the well-polished spear stuck in the ground then indeed he stood still and trembled stammering and there arose a chattering of the teeth in his mouth pale through fear panting they overtook him and seized his hands but he weeping spoke thus take me alive and i will ransom myself for within my house i have brass and gold and well-wrought iron from which my father will bestow upon you countless ransoms if he shall hear that i am alive at the ships of the greeks but him much planning ulysses answering addressed take courage nor suffer death at all to enter thy mind but come tell me this and state it correctly why comest thou thus alone from the camp towards the fleet through the gloomy night when other mortals sleep 
whether that thou mightest plunder any of the dead bodies, or did Hector send thee forth to reconnoitre everything at the hollow ships, or did thy mind urge thee on? But him Dolan then answered, and his limbs trembled under him, Contrary to my wish, Hector hath brought me into great detriment, who promised that he would give me the solid hooved steeds of the illustrious son of Peleus, and his chariot adorned with brass, and he enjoined me, going through the dark and dangerous night, to approach the enemy, and learn accurately whether the swift ships be guarded as before, or whether already subdued by our hands ye plan flight with yourselves, nor choose to keep watch during the night, overcome by severe toil. But him, crafty Ulysses, smiling, addressed, Assuredly thy mind aimed at mighty gifts, the horses of warlike Eacides, but these are difficult to be governed by mortal men, and to be driven by any other than Achilles, whom an immortal mother bore. But come, tell me this, and state correctly. Where now, when coming hither, didst thou leave Hector, the shepherd of the people? Where lie his martial arms, and where his steeds? And how stationed are the watches and tents of the other Trojans? What do they consult among themselves? Do they meditate to remain there at a short distance from the ships? Or will they return again to the city, since, forsooth, they have subdued the Greeks? But him, Dolon, the son of Eumedes, again addressed, Therefore will I indeed detail these things to thee very correctly. Hector, with those as many as our counsellors, is deliberating upon plans at the tomb of divine Ilus, apart from the tumult. But for the watches of which thou inquirest, O hero, no chosen band defends or watches the camp. But as many as are the hearths of fires among the Trojans, those at them are they to whom there is compulsion. And they are both wakeful, and exhort one another to keep watch. But the allies, on the contrary, summoned from afar, are sleeping, for they committed to the Trojans to keep watch, for their children and wives lie not near them. But him, much planning Ulysses, answering, addressed, In what manner now do they sleep, mingled with the horse-breaking Trojans, or apart? Tell me, that I may know. But him, Dolon, the son of Eumedes, answered, Therefore will I indeed detail these things also very correctly. On the one hand, towards the sea are the Carians and Poenians, armed with crooked bows, the Leligans and Coconians, and noble Pelasgians. Towards Thimbra, on the other, the Lycians are allotted their place, and the haughty Mycians, the horse-breaking Phrygians, and the Maeonian cavalry warriors. But why inquire ye of me these things separately? For if ye are now eager to penetrate the host of the Trojans, those Thracians lately arrived are apart the last of all the others, and among them is their king Rhesus, son of Aeonius, and his horses are the most beautiful and largest I have seen. They are whiter than snow, and like to the winds in speed, and his chariot is well adorned with both gold and silver, and he himself came wearing golden armor of mighty splendor, a marvel to behold, which does not indeed suit mortal men to wear, but the immortal gods. But now remove me to the swift ships, or, having bound me with a cruel bond, leave me here until ye return, and make trial of me, whether I have indeed spoken to you truly or not. But him then valiant Diomede sternly regarding addressed, Think not within thy mind to escape from me, O Dolon, although thou hast reported good tidings since thou hast once come into my hands. For if indeed we shall now release thee, or set thee at liberty, hereafter thou wouldst surely return to the swift ships of the Achaeans, either in order to become a spy, or to fight against us. But if subdued by my hands thou lose thy life, thou wilt not ever afterwards be a bane to the Greeks. He said, and the other was preparing to supplicate him, taking him by the chin with his strong hand. But he, rushing at him with his sword, smote the middle of his neck, and cut through both the tendons, and the head of him, still muttering, was mingled with the dust. From his head they took the weasel-skin helmet, and the wolf-skin, and with the bent bow and long spear, 
and noble ulysses raised them on high with his hand to minerva the goddess of plunder and praying spake rejoice o goddess in these for thee first of all the mortals in olympus do we invoke but guide us likewise to the horses and tents of the thracian men thus he said and raising them high above himself he hung them on a tamarisk branch but beside it he placed a conspicuous mark pulling up handfuls of reeds and the wide-spreading branches of the tamarisk lest they should escape their notice whilst they were returning through the dark and dangerous night then both advanced onwards through arms and black blood and proceeding they came immediately to the band of the thracian heroes but they were sleeping overpowered with fatigue and their beautiful armor lay upon the ground beside them carefully in order in three rows and by each of them stood a yoke of horses rhesus slept in the midst and beside him his swift horses were fastened by the reins to the outer rim of the chariot and ulysses first observing pointed him out to diomede this is a man o diomede and these are the horses which dolon whom we slew pointed out to us but come now exert thy mighty strength nor does it at all become thee to stand leisurely with thy armour loose therefore the steeds or do thou slay the men and the horses shall be my care thus he spoke but into him azure-eyed minerva breathed valour and he slaughtered turning himself on every side and a dreadful groaning arose of those smitten with the sword and the earth grew red with blood as when a lion coming upon unprotected flocks of goats or sheep rushes upon them designing evils so fell the son of tydeus upon the thracian men until he had slain twelve but much counselling ulysses whomsoever diomede standing beside struck with a sword him ulysses dragged backwards seizing by the foot meditating these things in his mind that the fair-maned steeds should pass through easily nor should tremble in spirit treading upon the corpses for as yet they were unused to them but when now the son of tydeus had reached the king him the thirteenth he deprived of sweet life panting for by the counsel of minerva an evil dream had stood over his head during the night in likeness of the son of oeneus but in the meantime patient ulysses was untying the solid hooved steeds with the reins he bound them together and drove them from the crowd lashing them with his bow because he thought not of taking with his hands a splendid lash from the well-wrought chariot seat and then he whistled as a signal to noble diomede but he remaining was meditating what most daring deed he should do whether seizing the car where lay the embroidered armour he should drag it out by the pole or bear it away raising it aloft or take away the life of more of the thracians whilst he was revolving these things within his mind minerva in the meantime standing near addressed noble diomede be mindful now of a return to the hollow ships o son of magnanimous tydeus lest thou reach them having been put to flight or lest some other god perchance arouse the trojans thus she spoke and he understood the voice of the goddess speaking and he quickly ascended the chariot and ulysses lashed on the horses with his bow and they fled to the swift ships of the greeks nor did silver-bowed apollo keep a vain watch when he beheld minerva accompanying the son of tydeus and raged with her he descended into the vast army of the trojans and roused hippocoon a counsellor of the thracians the gallant cousin of rhesus and he leaping up from sleep when he beheld the place empty where the fleet horses had stood and the men panting amidst the dreadful slaughter immediately then wept aloud and called upon his dear companion by name a clamour and immeasurable tumult of the trojans running together arose and they looked with wonder at the marvellous deeds which men having perpetrated had returned to the hollow ships but when now they came where they had slain the spy of hector there ulysses dear to jove reigned in his fleet steeds 
But the son of Tydeus, leaping to the ground, placed the bloody spoils in the hands of Ulysses, and then ascended the chariot, and he lashed on the steeds, and both, not unwilling, fled towards the hollow ships, for thither it was agreeable to their minds to go. But Nestor first heard the sound, and said, O friends, leaders and rulers over the Greeks, shall I speak falsely or say the truth? Still my mind impels me, the noise of swift-footed steeds strikes upon my ears. O that now Ulysses and gallant Diomede would immediately drive some solid-hooved steeds from the Trojans. But greatly do I fear in mind, lest these bravest of the Greeks suffer aught from the rude host of Trojans. Not yet was the whole speech uttered, when they themselves arrived. Then indeed they descended to the ground, and their friends rejoicing saluted them with the right hand, and kind expressions. But first a Gerenian knight, Nestor, asked them, Come, tell me, most excellent Ulysses, great glory of the Greeks, how took ye these horses, whether penetrating the camp of the Trojans, or did some god meeting supply you with them? They are very like unto the rays of the sun. I indeed always mingle with the Trojans, nor can I say that I remain at the ships, although being an old warrior, yet have I never beheld nor remarked such horses, but I think that some god meeting you hath given them, for cloud-compelling Jove loves you both, and the daughter of aegis-bearing Jove, azure-dyed Minerva. But him crafty Ulysses answering addressed, O Nestor, offspring of Neleus, great glory of the Greeks, a god indeed, if willing, could easily have given better horses even than these, since they the gods are much more powerful. But those steeds about which thou inquirest, old man, are Thracian, lately arrived, and valiant Diomede slew their lord, and beside him twelve companions, all of the bravest. The thirteenth, a spy, we killed near the ships, whom Hector sent forth, and the other illustrious Trojans, to be a spy forsooth of our army. Thus saying, he drove the solid-hooved steeds across the ditch, exulting, and with him went the other Greeks rejoicing. But when they came to the well-constructed tent of Diomede, they tied the steeds by the skilfully cut reins to the horses' stall, where stood the swift-footed steeds of Diomede, eating sweet corn. In the stern of his vessel Ulysses laid the bloody spoils of Dolon, until they could present them as a sacred gift to Minerva. Then having gone into the sea, they washed off the abundant sweat from around their legs, their neck, and thighs. But when the wave of the sea had washed away the abundant sweat from their bodies, and they were refreshed in their dear heart, entering the well-polished baths, they bathed. But having bathed and anointed themselves with rich oil, they sat down to a repast, and drawing forth sweet wine from a full bowl, they poured it out in libation to Minerva. End of Book the Tenth Read by Stephen Carney Section 11, Book the 11th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 11, Book the 11th. Argument. Agamemnon distinguishes himself, but being wounded, retires from the field. Diomede is wounded by Paris, Ulysses by Socus. Ajax and Menelaus then go to the relief of Ajax, and Eurypylus, who had joined them, is shot in a thigh by Paris, who also wounds Machaon. Nestor conveys Machaon from the field, 
Achilles sends Patroclus to the tent of Nestor, who exhorts Patroclus to engage in battle, assuming the armor of Achilles. But Aurora was rising from her couch, from beside glorious Tithonus, that she might bear light to immortals and to mortals, when Jove sent forth fell discord to the swift ships of the Greeks, bearing in her hands the portent of war. And she stood upon the huge black ship of Ulysses, which was in the centre, to shout to both sides, as well to the tents of Telamonian Ajax as to those of Achilles, who had both drawn up their equal ships at the very extremities, relying on their valour and strength of hands. There standing, the goddess shouted both loudly and terribly in Orthian strain to the Greeks, and implanted mighty strength in the heart of each to war and fight incessantly, and immediately war became more sweet to them than to return to the hollow ships to their dear fatherland. Then the son of Atreus shouted aloud, and ordered the Greeks to be girded, and arrayed himself, putting on his shining armor. First he put on his legs his beautiful greaves, fitted with silver clasps next he placed around his breast a corslet which cinerus once gave him to be a pledge of hospitality for a great rumour was heard at cyprus that the greeks were about to sail to troy in ships wherefore he gave him this gratifying the king ten bars indeed of the corslet were of dark cyanus twelve of gold and twenty of tin and three serpents of cyanus stretched towards the neck on each side like unto rainbows which the son of saturn had fixed in a cloud a sign to articulate speaking men then around his shoulders he hung his sword on which glittered golden studs and a silver scabbard enclosed it fitted with golden rings next he took up his shield mortal covering variously wrought strong beautiful around which were ten brazen orbs upon it were twenty white bosses of tin and in the midst was one of dark cyanus on it a grim-visaged gorgon was placed as an ornament looking horribly and around were terror and flight the belt was of silver but round it a snake of cyanus was twisted and there were three heads entwined springing from one neck upon his head also he placed his helmet adorned with studs on all sides having four bosses crested with horsehair and dreadfully knotted the tuft from above he then took two strong spears tipped with brass sharp and the brass of them glittered afar even to heaven and minerva and juno thundered above honouring the king of mycenae rich in gold then indeed he gave orders to his own charioteer to hold there his horses in good order by the fosse whilst they themselves on foot arrayed with their armour rushed forth and an inextinguishable clamour arose before morning and they were marshalled into the foreground with the cavalry at the trench the cavalry followed at a little interval but the son of saturn aroused a dreadful tumult and sent down dewdrops moist with blood from the air above because he was about to hurl many brave souls on to hades on the other side on the contrary the trojans drew up on a hill in the plain around both mighty hector the blameless polydamus and aeneas who among the trojans was honoured by the people as a god and the three sons of antenor polybus noble agenor and youthful acamas like unto the immortals and hector in the van carried his shield equal on all sides and as when a pernicious star makes its appearance from the clouds at one time shining and dark again hath entered the clouds so hector giving orders appeared now among the first and now among the last and he glittered all over with brass like the lightning of aegis-bearing jove and they as when reapers opposite to each other form swaths of wheat or barley along the field of a rich man and the frequent handfuls falls so the trojans and greeks rushing against one another kept slaughtering and neither thought of pernicious flight 
and when they held their heads equal in combat and rushed on like wolves whilst lamentable discord looking on exulted for she alone of the gods was present with them contending but the other gods were not present with them but sat quiet in their palaces where beautiful mansions were built for each along the summits of olympus all however blamed the saturnian collector of dark clouds because he wished to afford glory to the trojans but the sire did not regard them but retiring by himself sat down apart from the others exulting in glory looking both upon the city of the trojans and the ships of the greeks and the brightness of armour and the slaying and slain whilst it was morn and the sacred day was increasing so long the weapons reached both sides and the people fell but at the time when the woodcutter has prepared his repast in the dells of a mountain when he has wearied his hands hewing down lofty trees and satiety comes upon his mind and the desire of sweet food ceases his breast then the greeks by their valour broke the phalanxes cheering their companions along the ranks but agamemnon first leaped forth and slew the hero bianor the shepherd of the people and then his companion oelius the goader of steeds for he then leaping from his chariot stood against him but he agamemnon smote him as he was rushing straight forward with his sharp spear in the forehead nor did the visor heavy with brass retard the weapon but it penetrated both it and the bone and all the brain within was stained with gore him then he subdued while eagerly rushing on and agamemnon king of men left them there with their bosoms all bare for he had stripped off their tunics next he went against isis and anthippus two sons of priam the one illegitimate and the other legitimate being both in one chariot in order to slay them the spurious son guided the chariot whilst illustrious antiphus fought them achilles had once bound with tender osiers on the summits of ida taking them while pasturing their sheep and had liberated them for a ransom then however the son of atreus wide ruling agamemnon struck one upon the breast above the pap with his spear and again he smote antiphus beside the ear with his sword and hurled him from his chariot hastening up he despoiled them of their beautiful armour recognising them for he had formerly seen them at the swift ships then when swift-footed achilles brought them from ida and as a lion returning to his lair easily crushes the little fawns of the fleet hind seizing them in his strong teeth and deprives them of their tender life whilst she also she happened to be very near cannot aid them for a dreadful tremor comes upon herself but hastening she immediately flies through the thick oak groves and the forest sweating through the attack of the wild beast thus no one of the trojans was then able to avert destruction from these but they themselves were put to flight by the greeks next he attacked pisander and hippolochus brave in battle the sons of warlike antimachus who having accepted gold from paris rich gifts would not suffer them to restore helen to yellow-haired menelaus his two sons then agamemnon king of men seized being in one chariot for they drove their fleet horses together for the splendid reins had fallen from their hands and they were confounded but the son of atreus rushed against them like a lion and they on the contrary supplicated him from the chariot take us alive o son of atreus and thou shalt receive worthy ransoms for many treasures lie in the houses of antimachus brass gold and variously wrought iron from these would our father give infinite ransoms if he should hear that we were alive at the ships of the greeks thus both weeping addressed the king with soothing words but heard an unsoothing reply if indeed ye be the sons of warlike antimachus who once in an assembly of the trojans ordered that they should there be put to death menelaus coming as an ambassador along with godlike ulysses and not send him back to the greeks now surely shall ye pay the penalty of the unmerited insolence of your father 
he said and hurled pisander from his horses to the ground striking him on the breast with his spear and he was stretched supine upon the soil but hippolochus leaped down whom next he slew upon the ground having lopped off his hands with his sword and cut off his neck and yet the head like a cylinder he hurled forward to be rolled through the crowd these then he left there and where very many phalanxes were thrown into confusion there he rushed and at the same time other well-grieved greeks infantry slew infantry flying from necessity and horse slew horse slaughtering with the brass whilst the dust was raised by them from the plain which the loud-sounding feet of the horses excited but king agamemnon constantly slaying pursued cheering on the greeks and as when a destructive fire falls upon a woody forest and the wind whirling carries it on all sides whilst the branches fall with the roots overwhelmed by the violence of the flame so fell the heads of the flying trojans at the hands of agamemnon son of atreus and many lofty-necked steeds rattled their empty chariots through the ranks of the battle longing for their faultless charioteers but they lay upon the earth far more agreeable to the vultures than to their wives but jove withdrew hector out of the reach of weapons of dust of slaughter blood and tumult whilst atrides pursued loudly cheering on the danae the trojans meanwhile rushed through the middle of the plain toward the wild fig-tree near the tomb of ilus the descendant of ancient dardanus eager to reach the city but atrides still followed shouting and stained his invincible hands with dusty gore but when now they reached the scaean gates and the beech-tree there at length they halted and awaited each other others however still fled through the middle of the plain like oxen which a lion coming at the depth of night hath put tremblingly to flight all but to some one dreadful destruction is apparent whose neck he first completely breaks seizing it in his strong teeth and then laps up both the blood and all the entrails thus did the son of atreus king agamemnon follow them always killing the hindermost and they kept flying many fell prone and supine from their chariots by the hands of the son of atreus for before all others he raged exceedingly with the spear but when now he was about soon to reach the city and the lofty wall then indeed the father both of men and gods descending from heaven seated himself upon the top of ida of many rills and he held the lightning in his hands and aroused golden-winged iris to bear his message come swift iris deliver this message to hector as long as he may behold agamemnon the shepherd of the people raging in the van and destroying the ranks of men so long let him retreat and let him exhort the rest of the army to fight with the enemy during the violent contest but when he agamemnon shall have mounted his steeds either smitten by a spear or wounded by an arrow then will i supply him with strength to slay until he reach the well-benched ships and the sun set and sacred darkness come on thus he spake nor did rabbit iris swift as the wind on her feet disobey but she descended from the mountains of ida towards sacred ilium she found noble hector son of warlike priam standing in the midst of the horses and well-joined chariots and having approached swift-footed iris addressed him hector son of priam equal in counsel to jove jove hath sent me forward to deliver to thee this message as long as thou seest agamemnon the shepherd of the people raging amongst the van and destroying the ranks of men so long do thou abstain from combat but exhort the rest of the army to fight with the enemy during the violent contest but when he shall have mounted his steeds either smitten with a spear or wounded by an arrow then will he supply thee with strength to slay until thou reach the well-benched ships and the sun set and sacred darkness come on thus having spoken swift-footed iris departed 
but hector with his armour sprang from his chariot to the ground and brandishing sharp spears ranged through the army on every side inciting them to fight and stirred up the dreadful battle they indeed rallied and stood opposite to the greeks but the greeks on the other hand strengthened their phalanxes and the battle was renewed and they stood front to front but agamemnon first rushed on for he wished to fight far before all tell me now ye muses possessing olympian dwellings who first either of the trojans or illustrious allies now came against agamemnon iphidamus son of antenor both valiant and great who was nurtured in fertile thrace the mother of flocks sisius his maternal grandfather who begat fair-cheeked theano reared him in his house whilst yet a little boy but when he had attained the measure of glorious youth he there detained him and gave him his own daughter and having married her he came from the bridal chamber on the rumour of the greeks with twelve curved vessels which followed him the equal ships indeed he afterwards left at percote but he proceeding on foot had arrived at troy and he it was who then came against agamemnon the son of atreus when these advancing against each other were now near the son of atreus on his part missed and his spear was turned aside but iphidamus smote him upon the belt under the corslet and he put his strength to it relying on his strong hand yet he pierced not the flexible belt but meeting with the silver long before the point was turned like lead then indeed wide ruling agamemnon seeing it in his hand pulled it towards him exasperated like a lion and plucked it from his hand and he smote him on the neck with his sword and relaxed his limbs thus he unhappy while aiding his citizens falling there slept a brazen sleep away from his lawful virgin wife whose charms he had not yet known although he had given many presents for her first he gave a hundred oxen and then he promised a thousand goats and sheep together which were pastured for him in countless numbers him agamemnon son of atreus at that time stripped of his arms and went through the army of the greeks bearing his rich armour whom when coon the eldest born of antenor conspicuous amongst men then beheld violent grief darkened his eyes for his brother having fallen and he stood aside with his dark spear escaping the notice of noble agamemnon and he wounded him in the middle of the arm below the elbow and the point of the shining spear passed right through to the other side then indeed agamemnon the king of men shuddered but not even thus did he abstain from battle or from war but he rushed upon coon holding his wind-nurtured spear he on his part was eagerly dragging by the foot iphidamus his brother and begotten by the same father and was calling upon every brave man when agamemnon wounded him with his polished brazen spear below the bossy shield whilst dragging him through the crowd and relaxed his limbs and standing beside him cut off his head over iphidamus there the sons of antenor fulfilling their destiny at the hands of the king the son of atreus descended to the abode of hades but he was ranging about through the ranks of the other men with his spear his sword and huge stones whilst the warm blood yet oozed from his wound when however the wound grew dry and the blood ceased to flow sharp pains possessed the strength of atreus's son and as when the sharp pang seizes a woman in travail piercing which the ilithia daughters of juno who preside over childbirth send forth keeping bitter pangs in their possession so did sharp anguish enter the strength of the son of atreus and he sprang into his chariot and ordered his charioteer to drive on to the hollow ships for he was tortured at heart and vociferating he shouted aloud to the greeks o friends leaders and rulers over the argives repel ye now the severe battle from the sea traversing barks since provident jove does not permit me to combat all day with the trojans 
thus he spoke and the charioteer lashed on the fair-maned steeds toward the hollow ships and they not unwilling flew they were covered with foam as to their breasts and were sprinkled beneath with dust as they bore the afflicted king apart from the battle but hector when he observed agamemnon going apart exhorted both the trojans and lycians shouting aloud ye trojans lycians and close-fighting dardanians be men my friends and be mindful of impetuous might the bravest hero has departed and saturnian jove has given great glory to me but straightway urge your solid hoofed horses against the gallant greeks that ye may bear off higher glory thus saying he aroused the courage and spirit of each as when perchance some huntsman should urge his white-toothed dogs against a rustic wild boar or lion so hector the son of priam equal to manslaughtering mars urged the magnanimous trojans against the greeks he himself having mighty courage advanced among the first and rushed into the battle like unto a storm blowing from above and which rushing down stirs up the purple deep then whom first and whom last did hector son of priam slay when jove gave him glory Asaeus indeed first and autonous and opetes and dollops son of clytus and opheltius and agalaus and asimnus and horus and orus and hipponos persevering in fight these leaders of the greeks he then slew and afterwards the common crowd as when the west wind drives to and fro the clouds of the impetuous south lashing them with an impetuous blast and many a swollen billow is rolled along whilst the foam is scattered on high by the far straying blast of the wind thus were many heads of the people subdued by hector then indeed would there have been ruin and inevitable deeds had been done and the flying greeks had fallen in flight into their ships had not ulysses encouraged diomede the son of tydeus son of tydeus through what cause are we forgetful of impetuous might but come hither my friend stand by me for surely it will be a disgrace if indeed crest-tossing hector take the ships him then valiant diomede answering addressed i indeed will remain and be courageous although there will be little use for us since cloud-compelling jove chooses to give glory to the trojans rather than to us he said and hurled thrombeus from his chariot to the ground striking him with his spear upon the left pap but ulysses slew molion the godlike attendant of the king these then they left since they caused them to cease from war then both advancing through the multitude excited confusion as when two boars full of courage rush upon the hounds so they returning to the fight cut down the trojans and the greeks joyfully gained a respite avoiding noble hector next they took a chariot and two warriors the bravest of the people the two sons of Percosian merops who above all was skilled in augury nor would permit his sons to march to the man-destroying war yet did they not obey him because the destinies of black death led them on them spear-renowned diomede the son of tydeus depriving of life and breath despoiled of their splendid armour and ulysses slew hippodamus and hyperochus then the son of saturn looking down from ida stretched for them the contest with equal tension and they slaughtered one another the son of tydeus indeed wounded on the hip with his spear the hero agastrophus son of paeon for his horses were not at hand for him to take flight but he had erred greatly in his mind for his attendant kept them apart whilst he rushed on foot through the foremost combatants till he lost his life but hector quickly perceived it along the ranks and hastened towards them shouting and with him followed the phalanxes of the trojans diomede brave in the din of battle beholding him shuddered and immediately addressed ulysses who was near towards us is this great destruction dreadful hector now rolled but come let us stand firm and awaiting repulse him 
he said and brandishing his long shadowed spear hurled it and smote him on the summit of the helmet on his head nor aiming did he miss but brass wandered from brass nor did it reach the white skin for the threefold oblong helmet stopped it which phoebus apollo had given him hector hastily retired to a distance and was mingled with the crowd and he hector falling upon his knee remained so and supported himself with his strong hand against the earth whilst dark night overshadowed his eyes but whilst the son of tydeus was following after the impulse of the spear far through the foremost combatants where it was fixed in the earth hector in the meantime breathed again and springing again into his chariot drove into the crowd and avoided black death and valiant diomede rushing upon him with his spear addressed him dog thou hast escaped indeed death at present although destruction approached near thee now again has phoebus apollo rescued thee to whom thou art wont to offer prayers advancing into the clash of spears but i will assuredly make an end of thee meeting thee again if perchance any one of the gods be an ally to me now however i will go against others whomsoever i can find he said and slew the spear-renowned son of paeon but paris the husband of fair-haired helen leaning against a pillar at the tomb of the deceased hero dardanius ilus the aged leader of the people bent his bow against the son of tydeus the shepherd of the people whilst he was removing the variegated corslet from the breast of gallant agastrophus the shield from his shoulders and his heavy casque he paris in the meantime was drawing back the horn of his bow and struck him on the broad part of the right foot nor did the weapon escape in vain from his hand and the arrow went entirely into the ground and he laughing very joyfully sprang from his ambuscade and boasting spoke thou art struck nor has the weapon escaped me in vain would that striking thee in the lower part of the groin i had deprived thee of life thus indeed would the trojans have respired from destruction who now are thrilled with horror at thee as bleating goats at the lion but him valiant diomede undismayed addressed archer reviler decked out with curls woman's man if now in arms thou wouldst make trial of me hand to hand thy bow should not avail thee and numerous arrows whereas now having grazed a broad part of my foot thou boastest thus i regard it not as though a woman had wounded me or a silly boy for idle is the weapon of an unwarlike good-for-nothing man from me indeed it is otherwise for if one be touched but slightly the weapon is piercing and forthwith renders him lifeless and the cheeks of his wife are furrowed on both sides and his children are orphans but crimsoning the earth with his blood he putrefies and the birds around him are more numerous than the women thus he spoke but spear-renowned ulysses coming near stood before him and he diomede sitting down behind him drew the swift shaft out of his foot and severe agony darted through his body then he leaped into his chariot and commanded his charioteer to drive to the hollow ships for he was grieved at heart but spear-renowned ulysses was left alone nor did any of the greeks remain beside him as fear had seized upon all wherefore groaning inwardly he addressed his own mighty soul alas what will become of me great would be the disgrace if i fly alarmed at the multitude but worse would it be if i were taken alone but the son of saturn has struck the rest of the greeks with terror but wherefore does my spirit discuss these things with me for i know that cowards indeed retire from the battle but whosoever should be brave in combat it is altogether necessary that he stand firmly whether he be wounded or wound another whilst he revolved these things within his mind and soul the ranks of the shielded trojans in the meantime came upon him and enclosed him in the midst placing their bane in the midst of them as when dogs and vigorous youths rush against a boar on all sides but he comes out from a deep thicket sharpening his white tusk with his crooked jaws 
on all sides they rushed upon him and a gnashing of teeth arises but they remain at a distance from him terrible as he is so the trojans did rush round ulysses dear to jove but he wounded above the shoulder blameless diopetes springing upon him with his sharp spear and afterwards he slew thun and enomus with his spear he next wounded chersidamus when leaping from his chariot in the navel below his bossed shield falling amid the dust grasped the earth with the hollow of his hand these indeed he left and next wounded with his spear cherops son of hippasus and brother of noble socus but socus godlike hero hastened to give him aid and approaching very near he stood and addressed him in these words o illustrious ulysses insatiable in crafts and toil to-day shalt thou either boast over the two sons of hippasus having slain such heroes and stripped them of their arms or else stricken by my spear thou shalt lose thy life thus saying he smote him upon the shield equal on all sides the rapid weapon penetrated a shining shield and was fixed through the curiously wrought corslet and tore off all the skin from his sides but pallas minerva suffered it not to be mingled with the entrails of the hero and ulysses perceived that the weapon had not come upon him mortally and retiring he addressed this speech to socus ah wretch very soon indeed will dreadful destruction overtake thee without doubt thou hast caused me to cease from fighting with the trojans but i declare that death and black fate shall be thine this day and that subdued beneath my spear thou shalt give glory to me and thy soul to steed-famed pluto he said and the other turning again to flight had begun to retreat but whilst he was turning ulysses fixed his spear in his back between the shoulders and drove it through his breast falling he made a crash and noble ulysses boasted over him o socus son of warlike horse-breaking hippasus the end of death has anticipated thee nor hast thou escaped ah wretch neither thy father nor venerable mother shall close thine eyes for thee dead as thou art but ravenous birds shall tear thee flapping about thee with dense wings but when i die the noble greeks will pay me funeral honours so saying he plucked the strong spear of warlike socus out of his flesh and a bossy shield and his blood gushed forth as he drew it out and tortured his mind but the magnanimous trojans when they beheld the blood of ulysses encouraging one another through the crowd all rushed on against him whilst he kept retreating backwards and called to his companions thrice did he then shout as much as the head of mortal could contain and thrice warlike menelaus heard him exclaiming and instantly addressed ajax being near most noble ajax son of telamon chieftain of the people the cry of invincible ulysses has come upon me like to that as if the trojans were greatly pressing upon him being alone having cut him off in the sharp fight wherefore let us go through the crowd as it is better to aid him i fear lest being left alone amidst the trojans he suffer aught although being brave and there be great want of him to the greeks thus speaking he led the way and the godlike hero followed along with him then they found ulysses dear to jove and around him followed the trojans like tawny jackals round a tiered stag when wounded in the mountains which a man hath stricken with an arrow from the bowstring him indeed flying it escapes on its feet as long as the blood is warm and its knees have the power of motion but when the swift arrow hath subdued it the raw devouring jackals destroy it in a shady grove among the mountains chance however brings thither the destructive lion the jackals then fly in terror and he devours it so at that time followed the trojans numerous and brave round warlike crafty ulysses but the hero rushing on with his spear warded off the merciless day then ajax came near bearing his shield like a tower and stood beside him and the trojans fled terrified different ways 
In the meantime, warlike Menelaus, taking him by the hand, withdrew him from the throng, till his attendant drove his horses near. But Ajax, springing upon the Trojans, slew Doryclus, son of Priam, an illegitimate son, and next wounded Pandocus. Lysander he wounded, and Pyrasus, and Pilertes, and as when an overflowing river comes down on the plain, a torrent from the mountains, accompanied by the shower of Jove, and bears along with it many dry oaks and many pines, and casts forth a swollen torrent into the sea, so illustrious Ajax, routing them, pursued them along the plain, slaughtering both horses and men. Nor as yet had Hector heard it, for he was fighting on the left of the battle, on the banks of the river's commander, for there chiefly fell the heads of men, and an inextinguishable clamour had arisen around mighty Nestor and warlike Idomeneus. Among these did Hector mingle, performing arduous deeds with his spear and equestrian skill, and he was laying waste the phalanxes of youths. Nevertheless the noble Greeks would have not retired from the way had not Paris, the husband of fair-haired Helen, disabled Machaon, the shepherd of the people, performing prodigies of valour, wounding him on the right shoulder with a triple-barbed arrow. For him then the valour-breathing Greeks trembled, lest perchance they should slay him, the battle giving way, and immediately Idomeneus addressed noble Nectar. O Nelian Nestor, great glory of the Greeks, come, ascend thy chariot, and let Machaon mount beside thee, and direct thy solid-hooved horses with all speed towards the ships, for a medical man is equivalent to many others, both to cut out arrows and to apply mild remedies. Thus he spoke, nor did the Gerenian knight Nestor disobey. Forthwith he ascended his chariot, and Machaon, the son of Esculapius, blameless physician, mounted beside him. But he lashed on the steeds, and they flew not unwillingly towards the hollow ships, for there it was agreeable to their inclination to go. But Cebriones, sitting beside Hector, perceived the Trojans in confusion, and addressed him in these words, Hector, we two are mingling here with the Greeks in the outskirt of evil-sounding battle, whilst the other Trojans are thrown into confusion in crowds, both their horses and themselves. Telamonian Ajax is routing them, for I know him well, for around his shoulders he bears a broad shield. But let us also direct our horses and a chariot thither, where cavalry and infantry, having engaged in the evil strife, are slaughtering each other, and inextinguishable tumult hath arisen. Thus then, having spoken, he lashed on the fair-maned steeds with his shrill-cracking lash. But they, sensible of the stroke, speedily bore the swift chariot through Trojans and Greeks, trampling on both corpses and shields. With blood the whole axle-tree was stained beneath, and the rims around the chariot-seat, which the drops from the horses' hooves, and from the wheel-tires spattered. But he longed to enter the crowd of heroes, and to break through, springing upon them. And he sent destructive tumult upon the Greeks, and abstained very little from the spear. Among the ranks of other men, indeed, he ranged with his spear, his sword, and with huge stones. But he shunned the conflict of Telamonian Ajax. But lofty-throned Jove excited fear within Ajax, and he stood confounded, and cast behind him his shield of seven bulls' hides. Panic-struck he retired, gazing on all sides like a wild beast, turning to and fro, slowly moving knee after knee, as when dogs and rustic men drive a ravening lion from the stall of oxen, who, keeping watch all night, do not allow him to carry off the fat of their cattle. But he, eager for their flesh, rushes on, but profits not, for numerous javelins fly against him from daring hands, and blazing torches at which he trembles, although furious. But in the morning he stalks away with saddened mind, so Ajax, sad at heart, then retired much against his will from the Trojans, for he feared for the ships of the Greeks. And as when a stubborn ass, upon whose sides many sticks have already been broken, entering in, browses on the tall crop, 
but the boys still beat him with sticks although their strength is but feeble and with difficulty drive him out when he is satiated with food so then at length the magnanimous trojans and far-summoned allies continually followed ajax the mighty son of telamon striking the middle of his shield with missile weapons and ajax sometimes wheeling about was mindful of impetuous might and checked the phalanxes of the horse-breaking trojans but again he would turn himself to fly but he prevented all from advancing to the swift ships while standing himself between the trojans and greeks he raged impetuously and spears hurled against him from daring hands stuck some indeed in his ample shield and many though eager to glut themselves with his flesh stood fixed in the ground between before they could reach his fair skin whom when eurypolis the illustrious son of evaemon perceived pressed hard with many darts advancing he stood beside him and took aim with his shining spear and smote Abyssaean, son of phoceus shepherd of the people in the liver under the diaphragm and immediately relaxed his limbs and when godlike alexander observed him stripping off the armor of Episeon, he instantly bent his bow against eurypolis and smote him with an arrow upon the right thigh and the reed was broken and pained his thigh then he fell back into the column of his companions avoiding fate and shouting he cried with a loud voice to the greeks o friends leaders and rulers of the greeks rallying stand firm and ward off the merciless day from ajax who is hard pressed with darts nor do i think that he will escape from the dread resounding battle but by all means stand firm round mighty ajax the son of telamon so spake the wounded eurypolis and they stood very near him resting their shields upon their shoulders and lifting up their spears but ajax came to meet them and turning about stood firm when he reached the body of his comrades thus they indeed combated like blazing fire in the meantime the nelian steeds sweating bore nestor from the battle and conveyed machaon the shepherd of the people and noble achilles swift of foot looking forth beheld him for he stood upon the prow of his great ship gazing at the severe labor and lamentable rout straightway he addressed patroclus his companion calling to him from the ship and he hearing him within the tent came forth like unto mars but it was the beginning of the misfortune to him him first the gallant son of menoetius addressed why dost thou call me achilles and what need hast thou of me but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed noble son of menoetius most dear to my soul soon i think that the greeks will stand round my knees entreating for a necessity no longer tolerable invades them but go now patroclus dear to jove ask nestor what man this is whom he is carrying wounded from the battle behind indeed he wholly resembles machaon the son of Esculapius. but i have not beheld the countenance of the man for the horses passed by me hastening onward thus he spoke and patroclus was obedient to his dear comrade and hastened to run to the tents and the ships of the greeks but when they came to the tent of the son of neleus they themselves descended to the fertile earth and eurymedon the attendant of the old man unyoked the mares from the chariot whilst they refreshed themselves from the sweat upon their tunics standing towards the breeze beside the shore of the sea and afterwards entering the tent they sat down upon couches but for them fair-curled hecamede prepared a mixture she whom the old man had brought from tenedus whom when achilles laid it waste the daughter of magnanimous arsinos whom the greeks selected for him because he surpassed all in counsel first she set forward for them a handsome cyanus footed well-polished table then upon it a brazen tray and on it an onion a relish for the drought as well as new honey and beside it the fruit of sacred corn 
likewise a splendid cup near them which the old man had brought from home studded with golden nails its handles were four and around each were two golden pigeons feeding and under it were two bottoms another indeed would have removed it with difficulty from the table being full but aged nestor raised it without difficulty in it the woman like unto the goddesses had mixed for them pramnian wine and grated over it a goat's milk cheese with a brazen rasp and sprinkled white flour upon it then bade them drink as soon as she had prepared the potion but when drinking they had removed parching thirst they amused themselves addressing each other in conversation and patroclus stood at the doors a godlike hero but the old man perceiving him rose from his splendid seat and taking him by the hand led him in and bade him be seated but patroclus on the other side declined and uttered this reply no seat for me o jove nurtured sage nor wilt thou persuade me revered and irascible is he who sent me forth to inquire who this man is whom thou leadest wounded but even i myself know for i perceive machaon the shepherd of the people now however in order to deliver my message i will return again an ambassador to achilles for well dost thou know o jove nurtured sage what a terrible man he is soon would he blame even the blameless but him the gerenian knight nestor then answered but why indeed does achilles thus compassionate the sons of the greeks as many as have been wounded with weapons nor knows he how great sorrow hath arisen throughout the army for the bravest lie in the ships smitten in the distant or the close fight stricken is brave diomede the son of tydeus and wounded is spear-renowned ulysses as well as agamemnon eurypylus also has been wounded in the thigh with an arrow and this other have i lately brought from battle smitten with an arrow from the bowstring yet achilles being brave regards not the greeks nor pities them does he wait until the swift ships near the sea contrary to the will of the greeks be consumed with the hostile fire and we ourselves be slain one after the other for my strength is not as it formerly was in my active members would that i were thus young and my might was firm as when a contest took place between the eleans and us about the driving away some oxen when driving away in reprisal i slew etimoneus the valiant son of hyperochus who dwelt in elis for he defending his cattle was smitten among the first by a javelin from my hand and there fell and his rustic troops fled on every side and we drove from the plain a very great booty fifty droves of oxen as many flocks of sheep as many herds of swine and as many broad herds of goats one hundred and fifty yellow steeds all mares and beneath many there were colts and these we drove with nelaean pythus at night towards the city but neleus was delighted in his mind because many things had fallen to my lot going as a young man to the war but with the appearing morn heralds cried aloud for those to approach to whom a debt was due in rich elis and the leading heroes of the pylians assembling divided the spoil because the apaeans owed a debt to many for we and pylus being few were overwhelmed by evil for the herculean might coming in former years did us mischief and as many as were bravest were slain for we the son of illustrious neleus were twelve of whom i alone am left but all the rest have perished elated at these things the brazen mailed epeans insulting us devised wicked deeds but the old man chose for himself a herd of cattle and a large flock of sheep selecting three hundred and their shepherds for even to him a great debt was due in rich ellis 
four horses victorious in the race with their chariots which had gone for the prizes for they were about to run for a tripod but ogeus king of men detained them there and dismissed the charioteer grieved on account of his steeds at which words and deeds the old man being wroth chose out for himself mighty numbers and gave the rest to the people to divide that no one might go away defrauded by him of his just proportion we indeed accomplished each of these things and were performing sacrifices to the gods through the city when on the third day they all came at once both the citizens themselves and their solid hooved steeds in full force and with them were armed the tumolians being still youths nor as yet very skilled in impetuous might there is a certain city a lofty hill Triolessa, far away at the alpheus the last of sandy pilus this they invested eager to overthrow it but when they had crossed the whole plain minerva hastening from olympus came to us by night as a messenger that we should be armed nor did she assemble an unwilling people at pilus but one very eager to fight still Gnaeus would not allow me to be armed but concealed my horses for he said that i was not at all acquainted with warlike deeds yet even thus was i conspicuous amongst our cavalry even although being on foot for thus did minerva conduct me to battle there is a certain river Minaeus, emptying itself into the sea near arena where we the pylian horsemen awaited divine morn whilst the swarms of infantry poured in thence in full force equipped in armour we came at midday to the sacred streams of alpheus there having offered fair victims to almighty jove a bull to the alpheus and a bull to neptune but an untrained heifer to blue-eyed minerva we then took supper through the army by troops and we each slept in our arms along the river's stream in the meantime the magnanimous epeans stood around desirous to lay waste the city but a mighty work of mars first appeared to them for as soon as a splendid sun was elevated above the earth we were engaged in the battle praying to jove and to minerva but when now the battle of the pyleans and eleans began i first slew a man the warrior molion and bore away his solid hooved steeds he was the son-in-law of ogeus and possessed his eldest daughter yellow-haired agamede who well understood as many drugs as the wide earth nourishes him advancing against me i smote with my brazen spear he fell in the dust and springing into his chariot i then stood among the foremost combatants but the magnanimous epeians fled terrified in different directions when they beheld the hero fallen the leader of their cavalry he who was the best to fight but i rushed upon them like unto a black whirlwind and i took fifty chariots and in each two men bit the ground with their teeth vanquished by my spear and now indeed i should have slain the youthful molions the sons of actor had not their sire wide ruling neptune covering them with a thick haze preserved them from war then jove delivered into the hands of the pyleans great strength for so long did we follow them through the long plain both slaying them and gathering up rich armour until he had driven our horses to Bepraseum, fertile in wheat to the rock olenia and elysium where it is called cologne whence minerva turned back the people then having killed the last man i left him but the greeks guided back their swift steeds from Bepraseum to pylus and all gave glory to jove of the gods and to nestor of men 
thus was i as sure as i ever existed among men but achilles will enjoy his valor alone surely i think that he will hereafter greatly lament when the people have bitterly perished o oh, my friend menoetius did assuredly thus command thee on that day when he sent thee from pythia to agamemnon for we being both within i and noble ulysses distinctly heard all things in the halls as he charged you but we were come to the well-inhabited palace of peleus collecting an army through fertile greece there then we found the hero menoetius within as well as thee and achilles besides but the aged horseman peleus was burning the fat thighs of an ox to thunder rejoicing jove within the enclosure of his palace and held a golden cup pouring the dark wine over the blazing sacrifice both of you were then employed about the flesh of the ox whilst we stood in the vestibule but achilles astonished leaped up and led us in taking us by the hand and bade us be seated and he set in order before us the offerings of hospitality which are proper for guests but when we were satiated with eating and drinking i began discourse exhorting you to follow along with us ye were both very willing and they both commanded you many things aged peleus in the first place directed his son achilles ever to be the bravest and to be conspicuous above others but to thee again menoetius the son of actor thus gave charge my son achilles indeed is superior in birth but thou art the elder and he is much superior in strength but still do thou frequently suggest to him proper advice and admonish and direct him and he will surely be obedient in what is for his own good thus did the old man command thee but thou art forgetful but even now do thou mention these things to warlike achilles if perchance he may be obedient who knows if advising him thou mayest with the gods's assistance arouse his mind for the admonition of a friend is good but if within his mind he avoids some prophecy and his venerable mother has told him anything from jove let him at least send thee forth and with thee let the other forces of the myrmidons follow if indeed thou mayest be some aid to the greeks let him likewise give his beautiful armour to thee to be borne into battle if perchance the trojans assimilating thee to him may abstain from the conflict and the warlike sons of the greeks already afflicted may respire and there be a little respite from fighting but you who are fresh will with fighting easily drive back men wearied towards the city from the ships and the tents thus he spake and he aroused the spirit within his breast and he hastened to run to the ships to achilles the grandson of aeacus but when now patroclus running arrived at the ships of godlike ulysses where were their forum and seat of justice and there the altars of their gods also were erected there eurypylus the son of Evaemon, wounded with an arrow in the thigh limping from the battle met him down his back ran the copious sweat from his shoulders and head and from the grievous wound oozed the black blood nevertheless his mind was firm seeing him the gallant son of menoetius pitied him and grieving spoke winged words alas unhappy men leaders and rulers over the greeks are ye then thus destined far away from your friends and native land to satiate the swift dogs at troy with your white fat but come tell me this o jove nurtured hero eurypylus will the greeks still at all sustain mighty hector or will they now be destroyed subdued by his spear but him prudent eurypylus in turn addressed no longer jove nurtured patroclus will there be aid for the greeks 
but they will fall back upon the black ships for already all as many as were once bravest lie at the ships stricken or wounded by the hands of the trojans whose strength ever increases but do thou indeed save me leading me back to my black ship and cut out the arrow from my thigh and wash the black blood from it with warm water then sprinkle upon it mild drugs salubrious which they say thou wert taught by achilles whom chiron instructed the most just of the centaurs for the physicians polydarius and machaon the one i think having a wound lies at the tents and himself in want of a faultless physician and the other awaits a sharp battle of the trojans upon the plain but him again the brave son of menoetius addressed how then will these things turn out what shall we do o hero eurypylus i go that i may deliver a message to warlike achilles with which venerable nestor guardian of the greeks has entrusted me but even thus i cannot neglect thee afflicted he said and having laid hold of the shepherd of the people under his breast bore him to the tent and his attendant when he saw this spread under him bulls hides there patroclus laying him at length cut out with a knife the bitter sharp arrow from his thigh and washed the black blood from it with warm water then he applied a bitter pain assuaging root rubbing it in his hands which checked all his pangs the wound indeed was dried up and the bleeding ceased end of book the eleventh read by stephen carney section twelve book the twelfth of the iliad of homer this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 12. Book the Twelfth. Argument. Thus, then, the Trojans assail the rampart, and Hector, despite an omen, which Polydamus interprets unfavorably, attacks and forces the gate, and opens a way to the ships thus then at the tents the valiant son of menoetius was healing the wounded eurypylus but the greeks and trojans kept fighting in masses nor was the ditch of the greeks destined to prove a barrier any longer and the wide wall from above which they had erected in defence of the ships but they had drawn a fosse around nor had they given splendid hecatombs to the gods that it enclosing within might defend the swift ships and the great booty but it was built against the will of the immortal gods therefore it remained not perfect for any long period as long as hector was alive and achilles indignant and the city of king priam unravaged so long was the mighty wall of the greeks firm but when all the bravest of the trojans were dead and many of the greeks were subdued but others left surviving when in the tenth year the city of priam was sacked and the greeks went in their ships to their dear fatherland then at length neptune and apollo took counsel to demolish the wall introducing the strength of rivers as many as flow into the sea from the Idaean mountains both the rhesus and the heptoporus and the caresus and the rhodius the granicus and the asipus the divine scamander and the simois where many shields and helmets fell in the dust and the race of demigod men the mouths of all these phoebus apollo turned to the same spot and for nine days he directed their streams against the wall and jove in the meantime reigned continually that he might the sooner render the walls overwhelmed by the sea but the earth-shaker neptune himself holding the trident in his hands led them on and then dispersed among the billows all the foundations of beams and stones which the greeks had laid with toil 
and he made all level along the rapid hellespont and again covered the vast shore with sands having demolished the wall but then he turned the rivers to go back into their own channels in which they had formerly poured their sweet flowing water thus were neptune and apollo about to act hereafter but then the battle and clamour burned around the well-built wall and the stricken joists of the towers resounded but the greeks subdued by the scourge of jove were detained hemmed in at the hollow ships dreading hector the furious cause of flight for he fought as formerly equal to a whirlwind and as when a boar or lion is occupied amongst the dogs and huntsmen looking dreadfully with strength and they drawing themselves up in a square form stand against him and hurl frequent javelins from their hands but never is his noble heart alarmed nor is he put to flight but his courage proves his death and frequently he turns round trying the ranks of men and wheresoever he has directed his attack there the ranks of men give way so hector going through the crowd rolled along inciting his companions to cross the trench nor did the swift-footed horses dare it but they loudly neighed standing upon the precipitous brink for the wide ditch affrighted them nor was it easy to leap across by standing near or to pass it for overhanging brinks stood round it on both sides and beneath it was fortified with sharp palisades which the sons of the greeks had fixed close set and large as a defence against hostile men there a horse drawing a swift rolling chariot could not readily enter but the infantry eagerly desired it if they could accomplish it then indeed polydamus standing near addressed daring hector hector and ye other leaders of the trojans and allies unwisely do we drive our fleet steeds through the trench which is very difficult to pass since sharp palisades stand in it and near them is the wall of the greeks wherefore it is by no means possible for the cavalry to descend or to fight for it is a narrow place where i think they would be wounded for if indeed lofty thundering jove designing evil destroys the greeks but wishes to assist the trojans certainly i would wish this to take place even immediately that the greeks perish here inglorious away from argos if indeed they rally and a repulse from the ships take place and we be entangled in the dug trench i do not suppose that then even a messenger will return back to the city from the greeks but come let us all be persuaded as i shall advise let the servants keep our horses at the trench and let us all on foot clad in armour follow hector in a close body but the greeks will not withstand us if indeed the end of destruction hang over them thus spake polydamus but the safe counsel pleased hector and immediately he leaped with his armour from his chariot on the ground nor did the other trojans assemble on horseback but dismounting they rushed on when they beheld noble hector then each commanded his own charioteer to rein his steeds in good order there at the trench and they separating drawing themselves up and being arranged in five columns followed along with their leaders some then went with hector and illustrious polydamus who were most numerous and brave and who were most resolutely desirous having broken down the wall to fight at the hollow ships and cebrionis followed as a third for hector left another inferior to cebrionis with his chariot others paris commanded and alcathus and agenor the third band helenus and godlike deiphobus two sons of priam but the third commander was the hero asius son of hertacus whom fiery tall steeds brought from arisba from the river Sileus. but the fourth aeneas the brave son of anchises led along with him were the two sons of antenor archilochus and acamas well skilled in every kind of fight but sarpedon commanded the illustrious allies and chose to himself glaucus and warlike asteropaeus for they appeared to him next to himself decidedly the bravest of the rest for he indeed excelled among all 
when they then had fitted each other together with interlaced ox-hide bucklers they advanced full of courage direct against the greeks nor expected that they would sustain them but that they would fall in flight into their black ships then the other trojans and far-summoned allies obeyed the counsel of blameless polydamus but asius son of hertacus leader of heroes was unwilling to relinquish his horses and attendant charioteer but with them advanced to the swift ships foolish nor was he destined to return again borne on his steeds and chariot from the ships to wind-swept ilium having avoided evil destiny for him unlucky fate first encircled from the spear of idomeneus the illustrious son of deucalion where he rushed towards the left of the ships by the way in which the greeks were returning from the plain with their horses and chariots thither he drove his horses and his chariot nor did he find the gates closed in the portal or the long bar up but the men held them wide open that they might safely receive at the ships any of their companions flying from the battle he designedly guided his steeds right onward in that way and his troops shrilly shouting followed along with him for they supposed that the greeks could no longer sustain them but would fail in flight into the black ships fools for at the gates they found two very brave heroes the magnanimous sons of the warlike lapathia the one the son of perithus gallant polypoetes the other leontius equal to manslaughtering mars these two then stood before the lofty gates as tall oaks on the mountains which abide the wind and rain at all seasons remaining firmly fixed by their great and wide-spreading roots so they too trusting to their hands and strength awaited mighty asius coming on nor fled but the troops lifting high their well-seasoned bucklers advanced with loud shouting directly towards the well-built wall round their king asius and Iamenus, and orestes acamas the son of asius thune and oenomaeus hitherto indeed these remaining within were exhorting the well-armed greeks to fight for the ships but when they perceived the trojans rushing against the wall and confusion and flight of the greeks arose both darting out fought before the gates like unto wild boars which await the approaching tumult of men and dogs in the mountains and advancing obliquely to the attack break down the wood around them cutting it to the root and a gnashing of teeth arises from beneath till some one having taken aim deprived them of life so resounded the shining brass upon their breasts smitten in front for very valiantly they fought trusting to the troops above and to their own valour but they hurled stones down from the well-built towers defending themselves their tents and their swift voyaging ships and as snowflakes fall upon the earth which the violent wind having disturbed the shady clouds pours down thick upon the fertile soil thus poured the weapons from the hands as well of the greeks as of the trojans and the helmets and bossy shields smitten with large stones sounded drilly around then indeed asius son of hercatus groaned and smote both his thighs and indignant exclaimed father jove surely now at least thou also hast become utterly deceitful for i did not expect that the grecian heroes would abide our strength and invincible hands but they as wasps flexible in the middle and bees which make their dwellings in a rugged path nor quit their hollow mansion but awaiting the huntsmen fight for their offspring so are these unwilling to retire from the gates though being only two until they be either killed or taken thus he spake nor did he persuade the mind of jove saying these things for his soul designed to bestow glory upon hector in the meantime others were waging the battle at the other gates but difficult would it be for me as if i were a god to enumerate all these things 
for around the wall in every direction a furiously raging fire of stones was aroused and the greeks although grieving fought from necessity for their ships and all the gods were sorrowful in their minds as many as were allies to the greeks in battle but lapithia began the battle and contest but lapithia began the battle and contest then the son of perithus brave polypoetes smote damasus with his spear through his brazen-cheeked helmet nor did the brazen cask withstand but the brazen blade burst quite through the bone and all the brain within was shattered thus he subdued him rushing on and afterwards he slew pylon and orminus and leontius a branch of mars wounded hippomachus the son of antimachus with his spear striking him at the belt next drawing his sharp sword from the sheath he rushing through the crowd smote antiphates first hand to hand and he was dashed on his back to the ground then menon and iamenus and orestes all one over another he brought to the fertile earth whilst they were stripping off their glittering armour whose youths meantime who were most numerous and most brave and who were most eager to break down the wall and burn the ships with fire followed polydamus and hector and they anxiously deliberated standing at the trench for an augury had appeared on the left to them while eager to cross a high-flying eagle dividing the people bearing in his talons a monstrous blood-stained serpent alive still panting nor was it yet forgetful of fighting for while holding it writhing backwards it wounded him upon the breast near the neck but he let it drop from him to the ground afflicted with anguish and threw it into the midst of the crowd and flapping his wings he fled away with the breeze of the wind and the trojans shuddered as they beheld the spotted serpent lying in the midst a prodigy of aegis-bearing jove then polydamus standing near addressed gallant hector hector somehow or other thou art ever chiding me in the assemblies although proposing good counsels because it is by no means becoming for a man being a citizen to harangue contrary to thee either in council or at any time in war but ever to increase thy authority yet will i again speak as appears to me to be best let us not go about to fight with the greeks for their ships for thus do i think it will end as sure as this augury has come to the trojans desiring to cross the high-flying eagle upon the left dividing the army bearing in its talons a huge blood-stained serpent still living but presently it dropped it before it reached its dear home nor succeeded in carrying it to give it to its young so we even if we shall with great force break through the gates and wall of the greeks and the greeks shall give way not in order shall we return by the same way from the ships for we shall leave many trojans whom the greeks fighting for the ships will subdue with the brass thus indeed with a diviner who truly kens omens in his mind interpret and the people would obey him but him sternly regarding crest-tossing hector thus addressed o polydamus thou dost not say things agreeable to me besides thou knowest how to devise other counsel better than this if however thou really speakest this with seriousness then truly have the gods destroyed thy judgment from thee who advisest me to be forgetful of the counsels of lofty thundering jove which he hath himself undertaken for me and confirmed and thou exhortest me to obey the wing-expanding birds which i very little regard nor do i care for them whether they fly to the right towards the morn and the sun or to the left towards the darkening west but let us obey the will of mighty jove who rules over all mortals and immortals there is one augury the best to fight for our country why dost thou dread the war and conflict for although all the rest of us should perish round the ships of the greeks there is no fear that thou wilt perish for thy heart is not persevering in the fight nor warlike 
but if thou darest to abstain from the combat or dissuading dost avert another from the battle immediately stricken by my spear shalt thou lose thy life thus then having spoken he led the way but they followed him with an immense clamour then thunder delighting jove raised a storm of wind from the idaean mountains which bore the dust directly towards the ships moreover he weakened the courage of the greeks but bestowed glory upon the trojans and hector so that relying upon his prodigies and their own strength they endeavoured to break through the mighty wall of the greeks they tore down the niched battlements of the towers and demolished the breastworks and with levers they upheaved the projecting buttresses which the greeks had planted first in the earth as supporters of the towers these then they tore down and hoped to break through the wall of the greeks yet did not the greeks retire as yet from the way but fencing up the embrasures with their ox-hide shields they wounded from behind them the enemy coming up under the wall and both the ajaces ranged in every direction upon the towers cheering on rousing the valour of the greeks one they addressed with soothing another they rebuked with harsh expressions whomsoever they beheld totally neglectful of battle o friends whoever of the greeks is excelling or moderate or inferior since all men are not alike in war now is their work for all and ye yourselves i ween know this let not any one be turned back towards the ships hearing the threatener hector but advance onwards and exhort each other if perchance olympic jove the darter of lightning may grant that having repulsed a conflict we may pursue the enemy to the city thus they shouting in front cheered on the attack of the greeks but of them as when frequent flakes of snow fall upon a winter's day when provident jove has begun to snow displaying his weapons in the sight of men and having lulled the winds pours it down incessantly till he covers the tops and highest peaks of the lofty mountains and the lotus plains and rich husbandry of men and likewise it is poured out upon the havens and shores of the hoary sea but the approaching waves restrains its progress whilst all other things are covered beneath it when the shower of jove comes down heavily so flew the frequent stones from those hurling on both sides some indeed towards the trojans and others from the trojans towards the greeks and along the whole wall a tumult arose yet never would the trojans and illustrious hector have burst open the gates of the wall and the long bolt had not provident jove urged on his son sarpedon against the greeks like a lion against crooked horned oxen but he immediately held before him his shield equal on all sides beautiful brazen plated which the brazier indeed had plated over and underneath had sewed together thick bulls hides with successive golden wires round its orb he then holding this before him advanced brandishing two spears like a lion reared in the mountains which hath been long in want of flesh and whose valiant mind impels him to go even to the well-fenced fold about to make an attempt upon the sheep and although he there finds the shepherds keeping watch about their flocks with dogs and spears still he cannot bear to be driven away without having made trial of the fold but springing in he either carries one off or is himself wounded among the first by a javelin from a quick hand thus then did his mind impel godlike sarpedon to attack the wall and to burst through the barriers and instantly he addressed glaucus son of hippolochus glaucus why are we especially honoured in lycia both with the first seat and banquet and with full goblets and why do all look to us as to gods why do we also possess a great and beautiful enclosure of the vine-bearing and corn-bearing land on the banks of xanthus now therefore it behooves us advancing among the foremost lycians to stand firm and to bear the brunt of the raging fight 
so that some one of the closely armed lycians may say by no means inglorious do our kings govern lycia and eat the fat sheep and drink the choice sweet wine but their valour likewise is excelling because they fight among the foremost lycians o dear friend if indeed by escaping from this war we were destined to be ever free from old age and immortal neither would i combat myself in the van nor send thee into the glorious battle but now for of a truth ten thousand fates of death press upon us which it is not possible for a mortal to escape or avoid let us on either we shall give glory to some one or some one to us thus he spake nor did glaucus turn aside or disobey but both advanced straight forward leading a numerous band of lycians but menestheus the son of peteus beholding them shuddered for they were advancing towards his company bearing destruction he looked round along the line of the greeks if he might see any of the leaders who could ward off the fight from his companions and perceived the two ajaces insatiable of war standing and teucer lately come from his tent near at hand yet was it not possible for him to be heard when shouting so great was the din and the crash of stricken shields and of horsehair crested helmets and of the gates reached to heaven for they had assailed all and they standing beside them endeavoured to enter bursting them open by force but immediately he dispatched the herald thutes to ajax go noble thutes running call ajax rather indeed both for this would be by far the best of all since in a short while heavy destruction will arise here for so vigorously do the leaders of the lycians press on who even before were impetuous in the sharp contest if however labour and contest have arisen to them here at least let brave telamonian ajax come and with him let teucer follow well skilled in archery thus he spoke nor did the herald having heard him disobey but he hastened to run along the wall of the brazen-mailed greeks and proceeding he stood beside the ajaces and immediately addressed them ye ages leaders of the brazen-mailed greeks the beloved son of jove nourished Pateus adjures you to come thither that ye may participate in his toil though for a short time both indeed in preference for this would be by far the best of all things since soon will heavy destruction arise there for so vigorously do the leaders of the lycians press on who even before were impetuous in the sharp contest but if here also war and contest have arisen at least let brave telamonian ajax come alone and with him let teucer follow well skilled in archery thus he spake nor did mighty telamonian ajax disobey instantly he addressed to the son of oelius winged words ajax do thou and gallant lycomedes standing here incite the greeks to fight bravely whilst i go thither and oppose the battle but i will return again instantly after i shall have assisted them thus then having spoken telamonian ajax departed and with him went teucer his brother sprung from the same father and pandion along with them carried the bent bow of teucer as soon as they reached the tower of magnanimous menestheus going within the wall for they came to their friends being hard pressed and the brave leaders and chiefs of the lycians were mounting upon the breastworks like unto a dark whirlwind but they engaged to fight in opposition and a clamour arose telamonian ajax first slew a man the companion of sarpedon magnanimous epicles striking him with a rugged stone which mighty in size lay highest up against a pinnacle within the wall not easily would a man supported with both hands such as mortals now are not although being very youthful but he raising it aloft hurled it and burst the four-coned helmet and along with it crushed all the bones of the skull but he like unto a diver fell from the lofty tower and life deserted his bones teucer likewise with a shaft wounded glaucus the brave son of hippolochus as he was rushing on against a lofty wall in a part where he perceived his arm naked 
and made him cease from combat but he sprang back from the wall concealing himself that none of the greeks might perceive him wounded and insult him with words then grief came upon sarpedon on account of glaucus departing as soon as he observed it though he nevertheless was not neglectful of the contest but he taking aim wounded alcameon son of thestor with his spear and extracted the spear but he following the weapon fell prone and his armour variously decked with brass resounded upon him sarpedon then seizing the buttress with his sturdy hands pulled and it all followed entirely but the wall was stripped away from above and he formed a way for many then ajax and teucer aiming at him together the one smote him with an arrow in the splendid belt of his mortal girding shield around his breast but jove averted the fate from his son that he might not be slain at the sterns of the ships but ajax springing upon him struck his shield and pierced him quite through with his spear and forcibly checked him eager and then he fell back for a little from the buttress but did not altogether retreat because his spirit hoped to bear off glory and turning around he encouraged the godlike lycians lycians why are ye thus remiss in your impetuous force it is difficult for me although being brave having alone burst through to form a way to the ships but follow along with me for the labour of the greater number is better thus he spake and they reverencing the exhortation of their king pressed on with more alacrity round their counsel-giving king and the greeks on the other side strengthened their phalanxes within the wall because a great work presented itself to them for neither could the gallant lycians bursting through the wall of the greeks make their way to the ships nor could the warlike greeks repulse the lycians from the wall since first they approached it but as two men holding measures in their hands dispute in a common field concerning their boundaries who in a small space contended for their equitable right thus did the buttresses separate these warriors and for them each smote the well-rounded oxide shields around each other's breasts and the light bucklers of each other and many were wounded upon the body with the merciless brass whether the back of any combatant averted was laid bare and many right through the shield itself everywhere the towers and buttresses were sprinkled on both sides with the blood of heroes from the trojans and the greeks yet not even thus could they cause a flight of the greeks but they held themselves as a just woman who labours with her hands does the scales who poising both the weight and the wool draws them on either side to equalize them that she may procure a scanty pittance for the support of her children thus equally was their battle and war extended before the time when jove gave superior glory to hector the son of priam who first leaped within the wall of the greeks and shouted with a penetrating voice calling out to the trojans push on ye horse-breaking trojans burst through the wall of the greeks and hurl the fiercely blazing fire against the ships thus he spake cheering them on but they all heard him with their ears and rushed against the wall in great numbers and then mounted the battlements carrying their pointed spears but hector seizing it took up a stone which stood before the gates widening out at the base but sharp above which two men the strongest of the people such as mortals now are could not easily raise from the ground upon a wagon he however brandished it easily and alone because the son of wise saturn had rendered it light to him as when a shepherd without difficulty carries the fleece of a male sheep taking it in either hand and but a small weight oppresses him so hector raising the stone bore it right against the beams which strengthened the closely jointed gates double and lofty but two crossbars secured them within and one key fitted them but advancing he stood very near and exerting his strength struck them in the middle standing with his legs wide asunder that the blow of the weapon might not be weak and he tore away both hinges and the stone fell within a great weight and the gates crashed around nor did the bars withstand it but the beams were rent asunder in different directions by the impulse of the stone 
there illustrious hector rushed in in aspect like unto the dreadful night and he glittered in terrible brass with which he was girt around his body and he held two spears in his hands nor could any one opposing restrain him except the gods after he had leaped within the gates but his eyes gleamed with fire and turning to the crowd he cheered on the trojans to ascend the wall and they obeyed him encouraging straightway indeed some crossed the wall and others were poured in through the well-wrought gates but the greeks were routed towards the hollow barks and an unyielding tumult ensued end of book the twelfth read by stephen carney